Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for The Everyday Guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid back nature. He's a family man and being a country mega star while also having seven kids. You know, he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golliver with the Washington Post, and I am joined on the other line by Michael the Pod Pina, who covers the NBA. Drum roll, please. For Sports Illustrated. Michael, do you have a new job? Did I hear that right? You did hear it right, yes. Um, I guess we're, we're kind of breaking some news on the podcast because I haven't even tweeted about this or anything yet, but you, Take you kind that, of bullied me. <laughs> Take that, Shams. What you got now? All right. Tell me more. Tell me more. Yeah, you kind of bullied me into talking about it uh, at the top of this episode. But yeah, I'm, I'm starting full time at SI covering the NBA, uh, continuing to do this podcast, of course, two times a week. And uh, starting on uh, January 1st, 2021. So very excited. And thank you to you for even just, you know, folding me into this podcast, which led to this wonderful news. Hey, the news is absolutely sensational. It's an awesome fit. I, I saw it in my mind's eye for months and months away, and it all came together brilliantly. I think it makes sense. A uh, new season. And, you know, we've been talking how you're kind of right in the mix and in the thick of things there in Brooklyn, man. The, the Nets stealing headlines for the first week, so I think it makes sense for everybody. I, I hope you're on Kyrie watch and KD watch and following those guys around the streets of Flatbush and Fulton and having a great time. Um, I think it's going to be awesome. You're going to have a, the chance to write, you know, long, long form features for the magazine, uh, online columns, which you're great at, the analysis stuff, all of it, perfect fit. And the best part is you get to keep you know, listening to me yell at you twice a week uh, for no good reason on this podcast. So hopefully uh, the Open Floor Globe members can send you some congratulations on Twitter and by email. I am super, super stoked that it all worked out. You're going to be starting at SI. 
So I hadn't even planned this as a tribute, Michael, but we're going to just call this the the Michael uh, V. Pina tribute podcast here because I wanted your playoff picks. I wanted Pina's playoff picks. And we spent a lot of time talking about the contenders, obviously, on this show. Uh, but what I want to do... Uh, on this particular episode is dig into sort of the playoff bubble races in both rounds. Now, of course, this year it's going to be a little bit different. They have the typical eight playoff teams. But there's also going to be the play-in round uh, at 9 and 10 where those teams are going to be able to have the opportunity to sneak in. What I want to know, Michael, from you really is which are going to be the last three teams in the playoffs from each of the conferences and then the first three teams that are going to miss out. So which of these teams are going to be in that kind of play-in mix trying to uh, you know get themselves into the playoffs as we get down the stretch? I think when you're looking at a year that has no home court advantage, this is probably or, or arguably a more important topic of conversation than in a typical year, but also just more more interesting because we kind of can pencil in, you know, four or five, maybe six teams from each conference who are going to make the playoffs. But it's really about who are they going to face and, and potentially which of those teams can pull upsets once we get there. So I want to start in the Western Conference, the Western Conference, as everyone knows. Um, I want to know your six, seven and eight playoff seeds in the West. Just give them to me real quick here. So six, I have the Houston Rockets, uh, seven Golden State Warriors, eight Phoenix Suns. And then give me your nine, 10, 11. In other words, the three teams that are going to be just on the outside looking in. Sure. So I have nine, the Dallas Mavericks, 10, the New Orleans Pelicans, and 11, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Okay. Awesome, Michael. So we've actually uh, you know, debated back and forth quite a bit about your number six seed, Houston, uh, I know that the the Rockets fans were elated with John Wall's debut, and they may be a little bit sad about uh, game number two there after they take a, a hard loss to the Chicago Bulls. What is the key factor that gives you confidence they're going to be able to remain a playoff team? And actually, with the sixth seed, I mean, it, it sounds like they're getting in comfortably in your eyes. What do you see as the the straw that stirs their drink? Is it Harden just deciding, you know what, put all the anger and unhappiness behind me, I'm going to go out there and hoop, or, or what is it? I am stubbornly, potentially, uh, naively believing that Harden will stay in Houston for this entire season. Um, That obviously might not happen, and it might be possible that they will trade him before the trade deadline. It seems like, you know, there are only a couple destinations that have the picks and the assets and the players that could actually swing a trade, and right now those teams don't seem very interested. A lot can change overnight. It's the NBA. Right now, though, I'm just I'm believing that uh, Harden will, you know, there was a report that he will be professionally engaged with the Houston Rockets until he is dealt. He still wants to be traded. But, you know, I think like they if they play well and he's surrounded by, you know, Boogie Cousins has looked really good physically in the two preseason games. John Wall has looked really like his old self uh, in a lot of ways physically. If those two who have a combined like nine or ten all-star appearances between them, if they're playing great, Christian Wood gets into the fold, P.J. Tucker, Eric Gordon, like Harden, you know, he wants to win, right? If winning is what he wants, this could be a better situation than anyone that he gets traded to, to be honest with you. So I'm, I'm believing that Harden will, um, you know, look around and after spending every day with guys that he respects, like Boogie and like John Wall in particular, like it's going to be, it could be hard for him to um, want to walk away from that. 
I love this beautiful alternate reality that you paint, Michael. Um, I mean, Woj reported this morning that, you know, he's not necessarily moved by the partnership between uh, uh, himself and, and John Wall. Um, you know, we'll see how well those guys hold up. Uh, John Wall looked really good in his first game. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to give him that. And he looked like he had a, his explosion back. I think both he and Kevin Durant probably exceeded uh, expectations for their first games back, uh, you know, first times on the court after the Achilles. So that's great. But you want to see it every single night. You want to see that consistency factor. I do not have Houston in the playoffs. I think that it's what you're hitting on. You're hoping for good chemistry. I'm banking on bad chemistry. Uh, I think they've just, you know, it's just a ticking time bomb and, and we'll see how it plays out. But you've got Golden State at seven and we haven't talked about them quite as much. So you, it sounds like you're confident Steph Curry is going to stay healthy, I imagine. You're confident mm-hmm. he's going to be able to have a transformative impact. Um, are you sure they're getting into the playoffs this year? Because I'm not sure they're getting in. I'm worried about their depth. I'm worried about their lack of shooting. I'm worried about their front court depth, specifically on the defensive end. Even if Draymond is himself... Who else is playing defense for them? I think you're really going to have to count on Looney, um, and and that that to me is a question mark at this point. Um, and so I don't know. Like, are they going to be able to stop anybody? Is it just going to be a shootout? And if it's a shootout every night, do they have enough guns? Right? I mean, I, I don't see a ton of shooting there. Uh, are are you still assuming Wiggins is going to be the savior, or how does this play out? um you know you started at the top saying that you weren't sure that they would make the playoffs I mean I'm not sure that they'll make the playoffs either like the Western Conference is a total bloodbath once again but I'm just trying to put some respect on Steph Curry's name coming into the season and like the amount of praise that we give to some of the other superstar caliber players in this league where um, just because they're on a team that team can make the playoffs like that's how I still view Steph Curry I mean we're only a couple years removed from him being considered one of the best if not the best player offensive players in the entire world so so stop there right now where is he in your personal rankings I'm doing my top 100 exercise right now for uh, the Washington Post Um, I think by default I'm kind of with you I want to make sure he's the number one point guard you know Damian Lillard's coming after him pretty quickly Mm -hmm. but I would still default to Steph would you have Steph as your number one point guard I think I would. Yes, I think I would. I'd have him over. I mean, Dame is, uh, you know, what he did in the bubble was miraculous. Um, And I think he's been kind of viewed as Steph Curry light for his entire prime. Um, And like you said, I think he's coming up real fast. But I just, you know, I, I think Steph Curry still has a lot left in the tank. And this season, I think his usage will be way up, being that he needs to carry this offense in a lot of different ways different ways than he has in the past for sure being more on ball I think his numbers will be great um and you know I think this supporting cast is a little I mean it is thin for sure but I'm looking at someone like Wiseman I'm looking at Kevon Looney I'm looking at Marquise Chris I think their front court rotation is pretty dynamic if not competent um and then you just have a lot of athleticism on the wing which is something that they haven't had too much of in the past so I like them playing super fast you're right the defense is a huge question mark I imagine them just outgunning teams on a night-to-night basis dynamic if not competent they've got athletes whose heads are going to be spinning I guess is where is where you're going with that one <laughs> yes um okay so Curry or Harden and then Curry or Luca. oh wow um 
What a question. Um, I, you know, no, I'm throwing you on the spot right now, but I, I think that you're, you, you opened here by saying, let's put some respect on Curry's name. So if we're going to do that, I mean, I'm taking Curry over Harden. And I think at this point, I'm still going to give Curry the benefit of the doubt over Luca. But to me, this season is a, it's a pivot point of his career, right? You, if you're injured, I usually give guys a pass, especially if it's not a significant injury in these kinds of rankings. I don't want them to lose their spot. Uh, just because, uh, you know, of one injury, unless there's mm-hmm. some obvious, you know, career-altering trajectory to it, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, right? Um, and Curry's Heights, as you described, you know, two MVPs, five finals, uh, three titles. I mean, that's stuff that none of these guys have even come close to, um, but it's getting closer, and he's got to reprove it. And if he has another injury ravage season again this year, he's not going to get the benefit of the doubt next year. That's sort of how I view it. But would you still have Curry over Harden and Luka? I've always thought that I've always kind of pit Curry as um, like right on par with Harden. And I, I, I've always had a really difficult time kind of picking between the two just because, I mean, you know, Harden has led the league in scoring three times. Um, he's I mean, he gets to the line a lot and he's also a capable outside shooter, uh, just an offense unto himself in a different kind of way. Um so I, I just have a really difficult time parsing those two guys, but I will take Steph over Luca heading into this season by a hair. Um, I, Michael, I, it sounds to me like you want to put Harden over Steph, and you just you don't want to pull the trigger here because you're worried I'm going to flip out and say, "Come on, man, don't you value winning and everything else?" Who would you rather play with? Doesn't doesn't that factor in this conversation? <laughs> if I was good enough to be in the NBA, um, I would, I would rather play with Steph. Yeah, uh, okay. than almost right. like any player in the league. Yeah, no, for sure. Okay, so uh, you know the right answer. You just love Harden. That's 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 your mm-hmm. uh, your fatal flaw True. here. Okay, well, it's close. <laughs> I think that's kind of the point here. You can have some real debates, and if we go back to 2016. I don't think that there was a lot of debates about that, right? It was sort of, you know, Curry's got the craziest plus minus. He's got the biggest impact. And so that's why it's sort of a prove it year. I think he's just dragging a lot of pieces uh, with this group. And I also, I wonder, I think his health gets a lot of attention, but I also think Draymond's health gets a lot of attention too. I mean, what does their front line look like if he misses time, you know? And he's getting a little bit up there. Um I mean, I understand, okay, Weissman, you can kind of sneak him in as a center next to Draymond and hope that you can get by, right? Uh, or same deal with Chris. You kind of try to use him, spot minutes here and there, and and just kind of close your eyes and pray. And, and he's made some progress since earlier in his career, for sure. I mean, he's... I, I mean, he was fouling guys every 30 seconds when he was in Phoenix, so I guess we can call that progress. It's it's not that bad anymore. But if those guys are the ones who are in charge of the shop when Draymond's injured, I mean, come on, that's not going to work out very well, right? No, and but I just want to say, like, you know, I see a lot of criticism of, of, of Wiggins and of, you know, Kelly Oubre is not Clay Thompson, obviously, and they signed Kent Bazemore to the veteran minimum, and, you know, what is Kent Bazemore at this point, but... Like the way I see it is just when you're on a team with like contextually, when you're on a team with such smart, uh, capable players like Steph and Draymond, like you are your your role is more clearly defined and life just becomes a little bit easier for you. Like the attention that will be drawn by Steph, um, the attention that Draymond will draw pushing the ball in transition and finding open shooters behind the three point line, like the looks will just be different. Um, and I do think like I don't know if you agree with me, but I feel like last year was a total fluke. And when I say last year, I mean like the first four games before Curry got injured um, when they were just getting blown out. 
left and right. I feel like, you know, that season began like right after five straight finals runs when it's clear that they were running on fumes. It's clear that they just weren't going to win the championship that year. They didn't have clay um, and they were all exhausted. Uh, So like, I just, I feel like that beginning of last season is a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths and I'm not really factoring it in too much or as much as other people. They were also taking emotional gut punches, right, of not having guys out there. I mean, it must have been so disorienting at the mm-hmm. start of last year not to have Clay Thompson for basically the first time ever. I mean, it's kind of like the Iron Man for them, right? Um, obviously, everything changes when you're taking away a Kevin Durant-type player for them in the beginning of the last year, and they're in a new building, so that must have been uh, weird as well. Yeah, I don't focus so much on those first four games. I just focus on like how many of these guys can you really rely on night to night, mm-hmm. And I think there's also the question of, okay, now Steph almost has to get put into this Harden or LeBron-like role where he does have to have a higher usage. He does have to sort of solve all sorts of different problems. And he has to cover up for weaker teammates. And he's just got to, you know, constantly just set the table for an Andrew Wiggins and pray that he eventually can kind of make his shots, you know. And I think from... Uh, Golden State mm-hmm. standpoint, that's just a different formula, a different approach than what they use to win tons and tons of games. And then I also worry that, okay, if, if you're trying to carry that type of workload in your staff, um, you know, fluky things can happen here and there, where, whether it's the ankles or the, the hand last year. And, you know, just from a physical standpoint, is he going to be able to hold up? And, you know, even things like how many back-to-backs do you want to play Steph on at, at this point of his career, right? I mean, I don't see them as a title team this year. I would be pretty conservative if I, if I was Golden State about kind of limiting his minutes and being careful. And I just think any time that Steph's not on the court, these guys are getting absolutely blitzed. So I think you add all that up, it's enough red flag cautions for me to say these guys are probably you, – you've got them close to where I would have them, but I could also see them slip into like ninth – and just mm-hmm. being barely on the outside looking in. All right, give me your number eight team in the West again. Phoenix Suns. Didn't you have them higher, Michael? I thought you told me they were going to be like a five seed. Did you come to your senses or what happened there? Um, you know, I'm getting realistic here. Now I'm sitting down. The season is starting. We're seeing preseason games. Like now, now it's the nitty gritty time. So now I have to get real serious with my predictions here. So what? made you uh flinch <laughs> for lack of a better term <laughs> what, what made you say all right all right all right i need to uh, put the cool lay down and come back to earth a little bit so yeah i still am really high on phoenix i i'm still really high on a lot of their offseason moves i i love adding chris paul here i love the fit uh in a lot of ways with him and devin booker um i think like one of the reasons uh why i dropped them to eighth is that i looked at the schedule <laughs> and Phoenix has nine back-to-backs, which is the most of any team that has playoff expectations heading into this season. So I think that if you have a a player who's really important like Chris Paul, um, who was in the bubble, who's just really had, you know, arguably the most stressful season slash year just as a person in the NBA, given all of his off-court responsibilities, like... I wonder how many of those games they're going to play him. He did not play in their preseason opener due to rest. And, you know, Chris Paul was like a borderline MVP candidate last season, and they're expecting big things out of him this year. So if he's kind of out of the picture, I do still like Phoenix a lot. I still like Devin Booker running pick and roll with DeAndre Ayton. I like Mikael Bridges and the step forwards that he's going to make. I like the Jay Crowder signing a ton for them and how it lets them play small. 
But like without Chris Paul in the West, it's like that's just you know that's not that's probably not a playoff team. So I'm just I'm I'm wondering I'm hedging a little bit with the Chris Paul age and the schedule um, here a little bit, but I still like them a lot. I think that's smart. I I see two big drop offs for them: Chris Paul to like Cameron Payne, you know, or whoever else they're going to have as their backup point guard. Yeah. That's just massive, right? So anytime he's out, that's going to be an issue. I mean, I also think DeAndre Ayton to, you know, their backup five, whether they're playing Saric there or the rookie Jalen Smith or whoever it is, that's also a huge steep drop. And and Ayton to me, I mean, he's got something to prove here from a consistency standpoint. Can he be out there on the court? And then, you know, he, he got banged up with ankles and stuff like that last year and missed some time. They just need him to play. They don't have Baines anymore. And so I think that both those spots, they're just, you know, key spots where if their best five is healthy, they're going to run some teams off the court with this group. And, and they've got mm-hmm. enough depth, If especially if Chris Paul is healthy, they're going to be solid. I mean, they got eight guys who can play, right? But if if Paul misses time or Aiton uh, misses some time or, you know, does whatever their goofy stuff he sometimes does, they're going to mm-hmm. be a completely different team. I, I see them right around where you see them. I could see them actually being a little bit higher, uh, maybe a seven seed. And I just hope that Chris Paul does stay healthy, and I hope he's ready to rock, and I hope that the amazing diet he's been on – I'm not sure if you've seen pictures of him. I mean, he looks skinny compared to even earlier in his career, so uh, hopefully that helps him age well and and they get this positive momentum that they're expecting. I do worry that they've got their hopes up a lot down there, especially the players. I mean, Booker's sounding so optimistic, so positive. Um, You know, you just worry. What happens if there's some early adversity? How do they respond to it? This franchise has never responded to adversity that well over the last 10 years. And so, um, you know, I kind of hope for their sake that they're able to uh, avoid that and get, you know, get out of the gate fast so they can say, hey, we're carrying over this momentum from the bubble. Because if not, they're going to be looking around saying, well, wait a minute, who are we? Are we still the same team that just can't get it done? And then, uh, you know, it kind of spirals from there potentially. All right. So the teams you have left out, I actually think Dallas is your biggest snub here from the playoffs. They're going to be a playoff team, Michael. I understand what you're trying to say about they don't have enough depth. I went back and looked because you made me think twice. They're pretty much as deep as they were last year. They're definitely more balanced offense and defense. They've got, you know, a top six or seven guy in Luka. All their role players fit into their roles quite well. And then Porzingis, he's the X factor, but he's not going to miss the whole season with a meniscus tear. And I think that Luka can do a pretty darn good job of, of carrying the team without him. So other than an injury to Luka, I don't see what the case is for this to be a nine seed. I mean, we went pretty in depth on this with your entertainment rankings. Um, you know, I think that the, the you hit the nail on the head with Chris Porzingis being the X factor here. And he, I mean, if he was 100% healthy, I would not be so hesitant, but I just feel like as good as Luca is, um, I look at the rest of the roster and I don't see anyone else who is, you know, Rick Carlisle is really good at kind of like jiggering good offense um, out of players who probably have no business coordinating good offense and Jalen Brunson's going to be back and healthy and Trey Burke's there and you know we'll see what they get with some of the rookies but like I don't know man like I look at that those closing five lineups and the offense was really bad last year uh whether KP played or, or or didn't play and in those games when KP is not available in the unforgiving Western Conference, like what is their closing five? You have Luca, Josh Richardson, Tim Hardaway Jr., Dorian Finney-Smith, and then like 
Maxi Kleber or Dwight Powell. Like, I just, I'm not terrified of that group at all. And when Lucas sits, I, who is like, I, I you know, I mentioned Jalen Brunson and Trey Burke before, but like, is that going to be good enough on offense? And is there really going to be enough balance where they're able to up the defense without sacrificing too much of the spacing that they had last year when they had the best offense of all time? That's just, you know, like, it, it is just really slim margins here with Dallas. I could obviously see them making the playoffs. A lot of people really are high on them and deservedly so because Luka is a miracle but I just I can't get there I just can't yeah I mean I think that the fact that Hardaway can create his own offense a little bit and score in bunches when you need helps I think that Luka was actually their late game problem to me a lot last year I mean just he was a little bit too erratic I think that he's made some strides there he falls in love with the hero ball shot I think that that's definitely a weakness and he puts on a little bit too much of a show late in games, right? He gets into this idea of like, I want to be a circus entertainer and just do like the craziest possible thing. It's like, bro, just chill out, run the offense. You guys are going to get a good shot if you do that. Um, I think he's he's making strides. I'm just betting on him being way better than last year too. I think that he's still in that situation where he is in rapid improvement mode and there aren't good answers for him. He's so physical on the ball. He's so tricky. He can get himself to the free throw line when he needs to, and he can set up a drive and kick three on basically any possession. They've got plenty of guys to hit it. Um, can I interrupt you for one second real quick about uh, Luca's progress? Because one of the things that I haven't really seen mentioned too much in general is just like, you know, this isn't a normal offseason. Like, how much better, honestly, can we expect these players to be from the bubble to now like this goes for just about every young player because I honestly feel like the leap that he made that was notable was from the end of the last regular season when the season was stopped in March to the bubble um am I do you do you kind of see where I'm coming from do you kind of agree with that I do have you ever seen a triple jumper you know from the Olympics yeah so Luca is triple jumping through life it's just not he's not stopping at three He's just taking leaps every year since he's like 12 years old. I mean, the guy is an absolute freaking basketball prodigy. I mean, he's so much better than he was as a rookie. He was so much better in year two. He was so much better in the bubble than he was in year two. And he's going to come back, and I think he's going to be better um, in year three as well. I'm with you, though. It's a it's a strange timeline. Um, you don't know exactly when guys are going to make the jump. We actually saw some players, I thought, make a pretty big jump heading into the bubble even bigger than I thought of John Moran you know that that was one where I was like whoa this guy looks different even than he did in March and you're going to have some players who haven't played since March who better make a late Michael you know (laughs) if if you're you're Trey Young and you don't come back you know significantly sturdier on defense and and taking advantage of these uh, options around you and then we're going to start to say well like what wait a minute what's been going on here for the last nine months I mean the Bulls prospects Larry Markkinen coming back shooting one for ten on threes after nine months off is a woof you know I mean that is rough and you don't want to judge him based off one preseason game for sure but that's another type of player we better see a big jump from after all that time off right so um, I'm more just banking on the idea that Luca is on a, a straight ascent up a mountain and it doesn't really matter when you start or stop the clock. He's just continuing to improve. Eventually that will, uh, you know, he'll hit his peak, but I don't, I think he's so young. He's just not there yet. Same deal with Tatum, by the way, he had an even shorter off season than Luca. I'm expecting him to come back and, and take another step forward. And I'm not even referring to these reports about his height, uh, which apparently he's got Giannis syndrome and just grows now to 6'10" while he's an NBA player into his 20s. have no idea where that's coming from, but uh, it is certainly terrifying for all the the green beer haters out there uh, like myself. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. 
like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. All right, Michael. Uh, we've talked about Dallas quite a bit. I just want to point out, I'm buying Josh Richardson's stock. I think it was a terrible fit last year. I think he's going to be their X factor. I think his shooting is going to be enough on offense. I think his defense is going to be really important. Um, if I'm proven wrong there, things could go sideways, but I have a feeling you are going to regret your Mavericks pick in about, I would say, two and a half weeks. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the New Orleans Pelicans, though. They are fascinating, man. So you've got them out of the playoffs, and I've, I've actually seen some people wonder, are they going to be even worse than you have them? What is your cause for optimism on them? In other words, why are you not having them down sort of where they finished? I think it was like 13th last year. Um, what's causing you to just believe in them being better, but then also what's holding them back from a playoff spot? Yeah, so I mean, right off the top, like I, you know, I, I like Alvin Gentry as a head coach. I do think that going to Stan Van Gundy, particularly with what they want to do on the defensive end, was probably uh, a, a a noticeable upgrade there. So, like, you know, some of the the young players um, in New Orleans have talked about how practices were 45 minutes last season and this year so far they're like two two hours three hours long with Stan Van Gundy so it showed in the bubble didn't it Michael not a lot of discipline yeah you know yeah didn't really seem like they knew what they were doing and they had some guys who weren't in shape right so look I the photos of Zion are like succulent like this guy just cut ripped no minutes restriction um he's foaming at the mouth looking to play 30 plus minutes a night like I'm all in on Zion in 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 year two of his career based on what those on-off numbers look like before the bubble when he was just transformative um and 
I love Ingram. I know we talk about Ingram and we kind of are a little bit, he's a divisive figure between you and I on this podcast. I'm really high on him. I really like his game. I'm looking forward to seeing the Ingram Zion pick and roll. Um, So let me me ask you there. You've got two stars in Zion and Ingram and you've got Mm -hmm. competent players in Adams, you know, starting caliber center. Yeah. Eric Bledsoe, starting caliber point guard. Uh, and then Lonzo Ball, you know, same same kind of uh, category as an off guard to me. Um, Josh Hart's competent. Redick is more than competent. Why are these guys a playoff team if they've got two stars? And, and well, enough enough supporting pieces around them. What's holding them back? You just literally named everybody on the roster who is competent as a baseline like everybody else is just a big question mark right so if you have seven guys on your roster who are pretty good and one of them or two of them gets hurt or one of them gets covid heaven forbid like that's a big drop off for this team i think and you know there's been a lot made of how successful they were in transition versus the half court on offense last season and there's just also not a lot of shooting on this roster still and they lose drew holiday who was uh obviously important for for transparent reasons so um i just think they're thin i think they don't have enough shooting but at the same time like i'm very interested to see just how powerful zion looks how much better Ingram looks, um, you know, I, I mentioned before the Ingram Zion pick and rolls. And one of the really interesting things you can do there um, or that Ingram allows you to do is he can hit those tough mid-range pull-ups that are contested even when they're well defended um, and the floor is a little scrunch. So uh, I just like I'm high on all that. But at the same time, the West is just too much for a team that this is that, that's this young, led by two inexperienced players who have no like playoff chops at all um but i love the talent um so i'm giving them the 10 seed yeah i i think they're definitely better than a team like minnesota just too young and you've got minnesota at 11 i think that's maybe even too high for minnesota i think mm-hmm. they're definitely better than a sacramento i think they're they're better from a talent perspective at this point than a san antonio so i think you've got them pretty close to right i mean would you be shocked if they made the playoffs? There's an upside there, right? I mean, I think that you know the advanced stat guys would say the Pelicans consistently fell short of their uh, preseason uh, win-loss projections uh, during the Alvin Gentry tenure, and that's sort of their polite way of saying you know Gentry might not have been that good of a coach or didn't exactly get the most out of his group. Um, mm-hmm. Is it possible that Stan is worth you know four or five win bonus, and all of a sudden they're they're clicking? I think it's possible. I think way more important here is if Zion stays healthy and you can play him 33 minutes a night uh, and you can play him a little bit at the five, you can play him just as this, uh, you know, play him with Adams and those two have success together on the glass, just overpowering everybody. Like, I think that that is way more valuable than the head coach, but the head coach does matter. And I want to see how much better they are on the defensive end and how much more disciplined they are on that side of the ball as well. The NBA and the TV schedule makers are going to be upset if these guys don't make the play-in round, right? I mean, is should we just call the... <laughs> this is the second time they're going with the play-in round. It does feel like we've got to do whatever we possibly can to get Zion into one of these games so we can pray that he makes the playoffs somehow. Um, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, it's Honestly, it's pretty transparent by them, but I can't really blame them. Uh, he, he has that kind of magnetism, and he's fun to watch, like you've described. 
I think um, I'm actually falling in line right with you on, on the uh, the Pelicans. I think they're going to be just short. Hopefully they make the playing round so we get to see at least one game from them. Maybe they can shock the world and, and kind of atone for their poor bubble performance. And uh, that would be a, a kind of a win for everybody. Um, Minnesota at 11 is too high, Michael. It's not going to happen. I don't, I don't know <laughs> where where are you coming from with that one. Uh, mostly intrigue. Like, I, I understand that their defense is going to be pretty terrible. Um, I think that it's possible that that Carl Anthony Towns enters the season. Um, uh, you know, we talked about players who were not in the bubble, who, uh, uh, you know, the the, the, the short offseason um, for players who were in the bubble not being able to kind of improve and make leaps. I think that Carl Anthony Towns is one of the more talented players at his position. And for him not to have played a basketball game since March – like I'm expecting him to be noticeably better, and if that 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 growth happens on the defensive end, all all the better for Minnesota. Um, but like honestly, uh, when I pick them for eleven, a lot of it is just like they just added the number one pick to their roster. Anthony Edwards, like a freak talent. If he's good, what does that mean? They also never really played like so much was made of the the cat d'angelo russell partnership those two played in one game together against the toronto raptors and i went back and i rewatched that game a little while ago for something else and i don't know their chemistry just seemed very natural and organic on the offensive end and uh their pick and roll has potential to be absolutely devastating with how cat plays and how good he is as a roller and how uh, deadly he is as a popper um so i i like I like that. I'm just intrigued to see what it is. And then you add Rubio and the way that he just infuses confidence in all of his teammates everywhere he goes. I, I don't know. I mean, like, uh, it's it's a deep team, even though, like, the depth isn't, like, veteran leadership or anything like that. But, like, having Jarrett Culver, who was this com- – he's, like, completely forgotten now. And Jarrett Culver, like, had some moments – out of a role that is probably best suited for him as a rookie where he showed that he could be pretty good someday. So I'm just really fascinated to kind of see where this team ends up. And um, I mean, internally, they seem to have very high expectations for themselves. So maybe that's just rubbing off on me a little bit. Yeah, look, Culver's the kind of guy I would love to see make a big leap because he was pretty meh as a rookie. I think what I'm worried about is he's best with the ball in his hands. He kind of wants to be almost like a pseudo point forward. That's how he played in college. And I'm not sure the ball is really going to be in his hands that much. I mean, maybe you give it to him in a second unit, right? So it's whenever you stagger his minutes, I guess, with D'Angelo and you you try to keep him involved that way. I mean, that could be fun, but that's also probably limiting his ceiling as a player if that's sort of the, the way you're deploying him. I'm not totally sure these pieces fit. I've been betting against Russell for five years, and I'm going to make it six. Um, <laughs> and I'm also, frankly, just worried about Towns. I hear what you're saying about the long offseason for him, but I mean, this guy suffered more personal tragedy than almost anyone. And I think he had the exact right message when he came back for media day and was saying, look, this is, you know, basketball is not going to be some refuge for me. This has been, you know, a, a horribly tragic year. I think he said he mm-hmm. lost a total of seven family members who could blame him if he was away from basketball for a, a lot of that time. And so um, I'm saying, Keep the expectations off Carl Anthony Towns. Just be respectful of what mm-hmm. he's gone through. I'm saying Russell can't guard anyone, and Rubio is not going to be able to guard both guards. And I am hopeful that their offensive chemistry is is what you've described. But I look at their wing core, 
And they've got a lot of options, but not a lot of great options. That's sort of how I look at it. I still think, you know, these guys are uh, a year or two away, uh, in my opinion. So I, I'm lower on them than you are. I probably have them down around 13th, probably. I think a team like San Antonio could finish above them. Uh, but uh, we'll see. All right, we've run through the West pretty thoroughly here, Michael. I just as a one final question of the six teams that you listed: Houston, Golden State, Phoenix, Dallas, New Orleans, Minnesota. So those are kind of the the fringe uh, bubble conversation teams. Can any of them win a playoff series in the Western Conference? Right, because we've got some you know pretty big time teams: the Lakers, Clippers, obviously at the top. Um, you know, we're looking at maybe Denver coming back, Utah being pretty deep and solid, Portland being pretty mm-hmm. deep and solid. Can any of those teams you described win a playoff series in the first round? And which teams have the best chance? I think most of them can actually. Um, that's just how like how tight the Western Conference is. Like, if Houston does not make any trades, i.e., they keep James Harden, I have them. They could win a playoff series. I, I for sure think that Dallas can win a playoff series if they get in because they have Luca, and by then, um, Chris Tapsporzingis will hopefully be healthy, and that duo is terrifying. Um, I think you know, Golden State. I could see them. It would be. It would take like a magical experience for them to <laughs> uh, win a playoff series, given you know some of their issues on the defensive end when the game slows down a little bit. And teams can really focus in, or whoever they're playing will really focus in on Curry. Um, but it's not impossible. And then, like, Phoenix, if Phoenix, if Phoenix just, like, hits the ground running and just looks like they everyone on that team took a collective leap and Chris Paul is healthy, then, yeah, I think that Phoenix can also win a playoff series. I think Dallas has a shot. The other five, I, I'm shaky on. <laughs> That's how I look at it. And I don't, I don't want to be a super top-down guy, but... You know, we, we talked about some of these questions here. I think all of them, all these teams face pretty serious limiting factors. And, you know, for me, the, the difference would be uh, Luka and the ceiling of Dallas's offense. I mean, they proved they could operate at a really high level for parts of that first round series against the Clippers. If they got an easier first round opponent, can Luka just blow a team off the court? I suppose it's possible. Um, you can make the same argument for Curry as well. I just think he's working with less um, in Golden State. But uh, the, I don't see Houston winning a series this year at all. Uh, Minnesota definitely not New Orleans I think it's a little bit too early so and Phoenix you could almost talk me into Phoenix having a shot if Chris Paul and Devin Booker are absolutely perfect together and completely locked in I'm not totally sure that's going to happen either so I think at the end of the day I'm saying Dallas has the best shot from this group to win uh, a playoff series and we will have to check back in like nine months to see who's right all right Michael let's switch gears to the Eastern Conference Gotta say, not quite as intriguing of a pack here, but give me your six, seven, and eight, your last three in the playoffs, and then give me your uh, nine, 10, and 11, your uh, first three out of the playoffs. Sure. So, six, I have the Miami Heat, uh, seven, Indiana Pacers, eight, the Atlanta Hawks, nine, the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, 10, the Washington Wizards, and 11, the Orlando Magic. So you're a little bit down on Miami, the Eastern Conference champions, having them come in at sixth. Was that just sort of a process of elimination thing where you were like, well, we got to give KD respect. We got to give Giannis respect. We got to give uh, you know Philly's upgraded roster some respect. Of course, you're going to have Boston probably one or two. Um, 
is, so is that what happened? Is that how you got uh, Miami at six, probably showing some respect to Nick Nurse and the Raptors? Or was there something else holding them back? Are you worried about Dragic's foot, some of the offseason changes, just natural regression? What would it be? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get too high on um, what they accomplished in the bubble while simultaneously not taking away from them uh, their great run. Um, so, like, I just, you know, I don't know if they're able to, throughout an entire regular season, just play BAM at the five, um, especially without Jay Crowder, who is in Phoenix now. And he's one of those stretch fours who is really difficult to just batter down in the post um so he can guard kind of multiple positions that way like i you know i don't know who the, is going to be what their starting lineup is going to look like but if you just kind of slide mo harkless into that role it's just a different it's different it's a different composition in the defensive end so um like you know jimmy butler uh who's a year older now and who just like took lord knows how many months slash years off of his career after what he did in the finals um like he played a a significantly differently in the playoffs than he did during the regular season he shot the three ball a lot better he was more aggressive offensively um i was actually looking up some uh numbers on him uh in second spectrum and like he was one of the worst pick and roll scorers when a defender went under the screen during the regular season. And then when a defender went under the screen in the playoffs, he was one of the best scorers. So I think like where where is he going to be uh, next season and how does that impact them on the offensive end? And like uh, I, I it's a great point. Jimmy was over his head. I mean, he, he played amazing in the bubble. It's the best stretch of basketball I've ever seen him play. Uh, mm-hmm. From a timeliness standpoint, but also from a, you know, whenever he needed to make a big shot, he hit the big shots, right? I mean, there was multiple times where series were sort of wavering, whether it's the Celtics series, whether it's that Bucks series was not quite wavering as much, but he was the guy to put the opponent away and he was always making kind of big play after big play after big play. And uh, I think you're right. Over the course of a 72-game season, throwing back the travel, maybe throwing some exhaustion factor just from these guys being on the quick turnaround and not having the luxury of resting their stars maybe quite as much as a team like the Lakers will. Um, I think it's fair to say that they're going to come back to earth. I mean, I don't think you're being disrespectful with the six, although if I was a Heat fan, I'd probably hate you. <laughs> that's that's understandable. I mean, everybody hates me. Um, but no, I mean... Like, you know, there's some other data out there that just suggests that Duncan Robinson could come back to earth a little bit as an outside shooter. I mean, some of the shots that he hit last season are just, I mean, he's a great shooter, but if he does what he did again for an entire season, he's basically the best shooter who ever lived. Um, And I, I, real quick, like, I have a question for you. Just what is their starting five, in your opinion? Like, does Tyler Hero get a starting nod is he the starting two man is Kendrick Nunn back in the starting five and they move Goran back to the bench as they did during the last year's regular season are they gonna play Myers Leonard who I mean he re-signed there and like if you're Myers Leonard do you re-sign in Miami if you know that you're basically not gonna play or like did they tell you well, yeah we're gonna I mean go- <laughs> look if you're Myers Leonard and you're seeing the size of the money that they offered him you're not thinking twice you're like whatever you know I'll be inactive the whole season give me that 9.5 um, here's the thing, your point on Butler being a different guy from an offensive standpoint in the bubble versus the regular season is a key one. I think it actually translates to a lot of their other players like Tyler Hero 
had some amazing moments in the bubble, but his rookie year was much shakier, right? Had some Mm -hmm. awesome highs, but also lots of lows. You look at Goran Dragic, I mean, off the bench, as you're describing during the regular season, comes the bubble, now he's a starter. I mean, they really shook things up when they got down there. And so for Miami, just to say, hey, we're running it back and we're going to have the same look as we did in the bubble, that to me is a question mark, right? Does it work for an entire regular season? And then, you know, did you discover all these things that worked in the bubble and will those still be sustainable answers? Uh, Open questions, in my opinion. You know, if I'm starting, I, I would probably have Hero as a super sub at this point. Um, and I would probably try to start Harkless at that four spot and place a Crowder. So I would go Dragic, Robinson, Butler, Harkless, Bam. Um, would you disagree? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, I mean, that's not bad. I mean, playing Bam at the five is not terrible, obviously. He's incredible. He's one of the best defenders, defensive players in basketball. I, I think you have to. I mean, I think that's that's sort of the way the league is going. You look around the East. I mean, they're not going to be contending with that many amazing centers in the Eastern Conference. I think he has a chance to be defensive player of the year this year. And I think you're trying to work Bam into his long-term role, right? And I don't think you necessarily need to protect him. He's pretty physical. He did have some injury issues in the bubble, which are a little bit nerve-wracking. Um, but why can't he just be the full-time every night center backline guy? I'm wiping out every shot at the hoop and I'm uh, facilitating on offense and scoring a little bit too. I think uh, if you want him to become his full self, you play him at the five all the time. No, I mean, like I'm not going to totally disagree with that. I'm also interested to see, you know, is Avery Bradley a starter on this team? Um, you know, they signed him and, uh, just he just always makes more sense to me in a starting five than coming off the bench. Um, so I don't know, like, yeah, I gotta how say, gonna he's, fit him he's, in. he's making increasingly less sense to me. You know, I'm I'm not sure how much he's got left. Uh, maybe that's rude, but I think he's Little a couple. Rude. Yeah, I mean, he's <laughs> he's a couple years removed from the good old days in Boston, and I just think you know it's. His, his success has been very context-dependent. Like, he was terrible for the Clippers. All of a sudden, he plays with LeBron. His numbers start to look a little bit better. I would just say I, w- I would be trusting more in Duncan Robinson trying to become this elite, knockdown every night three-point shooting guy than I would be Avery Bradley. I mean, he would be my priority for sure if I was Miami. Yeah, no, I can I can see that as well. Plus the rookie, Precious Achua. I hope I'm pronouncing his last name, last name correctly. If he enters the rotation as just kind of... Uh, whatever he is <laughs> I don't know because I didn't really watch him play too much in college but um, but I think that yeah they, they've added some athleticism they've added a little bit of skill but I think they'll miss Crowder um, at the end of the day and, and when they want to play Bam at the five it could be interesting well he shot like 45 percent from threes for them uh, I didn't realize yeah. what a big dra- a drastic increase it was it was like 29 percent before the trade and 45 percent after the trade something ridiculous like that so yeah they're gonna miss anybody who just doesn't miss shots for sure this is it we've got an amex platinum pro on our hands ladies and gentlemen we haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the centurion lounge is he connecting to complimentary wi-fi oh my look at that he is and you will not believe where he's going next the amex dedicated card member entrance for the win Unbelievable! When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. 
I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Let's move to Indiana. I mean, they don't—they get shortchanged in these conversations a lot. I'm glad you still have them as a playoff team. I think that they've been getting too much negative buzz. Uh, you know, they don't get discussed a lot, and the little drama between Oladipo and Miles Turner is a little bit sensational, and people get all worked up about it. They did have the coaching change. I mean, it was a strange offseason for them, to say the least, but they should be better than they were last year. Uh, I would say with Oladipo coming back, you've got Brogdon already there. You've got Sabonis um, established as a player. They've got, you know, TJ Warren playing better and, you know, comfortable in a role. I mean, they almost have, in some senses, too many guys. You know, it's a lot of mouths to feed. That could be a, a part of the problem. They've also got a lot of defensive talent. I think they were a top five defensive team last year. They're still in the playoffs. Like, I know people want to freak out and say, oh, Ladipo, ah, what's, you know, madness. Oh, God, he's going to, you know, freak out. He's going to ruin the locker room. Like, first of all, you know, it's everyone's going to have a weird season this year traveling around. There's going to be a lot of grudges and everything else when you've, you're stuck with your teammates, 72 games, no fans, and, you know, no partying on the road, right? I think just take it down a notch from that. Look at their talent base and their, and their balanced players. You know, they got a lot of guys who play both ways. And you could say this team should be solid, you know, unspectacular, solid back in the playoffs, just like always. Do you agree? Well, I do. That's that's why I have them number seven. Um, I mean, the, the big positive for me is that they have better continuity than any other team in the league. Um, but at the same time, I think that you could argue that they also have a little bit of upside and that their starting five, their projected starting five for this upcoming season only played 86 minutes last year and were plus 10.3, had a plus 10.3 net rating when they took the floor. So basically that's just, you're adding Victor Oladipo to that group. Um, so like, that's a really nice variable to have um, on your side. I, I do think though, Ben, that like Miles, putting Miles Turner so publicly in trade rumors, like that, that never really goes over well. And I mean, he's been in trade rumors for a while, basically almost since he signed that contract with them, um, or at least since Sabonis kind of broke out and was clearly the best five on the team. Like that combined with, like, I do think, I do put stock in some of the reports about Victor Oladipo and the fact that he will be playing for a new contract, which is a big deal. And he will be playing to reestablish himself as an all NBA caliber player. Um, 
uh, potentially more so than trying to fit into the successful schemes that Indiana had last season with Brogdon really running the show. So those are some of my questions about them. Um, but I think it is a good thing, ultimately, um, just in terms of shaking it up that they switch things at the head coach position um, because, you know, playing really slow, playing really big, focusing on uh, a, a brand of basketball that is increasingly antiquated. Like, I hope that they kind of shake things up a little bit and that and that um, that helps them also on both ends. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, like it worked for them. They were kind of cutting against the grain. And uh, I don't know, I still don't understand why they got rid of Nate McMillan. I wish we had a, a better explanation on that. Maybe it was financial and, uh, you know, who knows. But, um, you know, I think if they're going to try to play the same way everybody else plays, then they really have to hope Oladipo is back to being that vibrant, you know, all NBA level guard on the ball who's, you know, hitting big shots and blowing by people going to the basket. And is just sort of this, uh, you know, uh, not a one man offense, but a, a really impactful offensive player because, you know, their approach is just more, we do have to grind it out. We've got to start with our defense. We've got to, uh, you know, share the basketball, keep it moving, get balanced scoring attack from all five positions. Every once in a while, just hope that TJ Warren goes crazy. And then otherwise just kind of play a controlled game. And that's exactly what Brogdon wants to do. I think that's where Sabonis fits in too. If they're, you know, shaking things up, you know, dramatically, I, I, I want to see how that goes for them. But uh, I think that they're probably going to stick to how they've been playing, or at least close to it, I would hope. Um, the new coach comes from Toronto, though, right? So you're expecting a little bit more pizzazz from the, the Raptors mm-hmm. lineage? Yeah, I mean, a little bit more uh, variance and unpredictability and versatility. That would be nice. I know that you are restricted by the roster and the fact that you do have these two bigs and playing them together really limits you particularly, I guess, on both ends, actually, um, in most matchups. Like, who guards Kevin Durant when you play uh, the Brooklyn Nets and he's at the floor? Like, it's just, it, it's, the issues are the issues. Um, well, so, here's my thing on Turner. Like, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. Should he be, you know, nervous or looking over his shoulder after all this trade talk? Is he going to be upset about it? My message to him, and I say this lovingly because he's a fellow Lego head, you know, Michael, he really loves the Legos just like I do. But if you don't want to be in trade rumors, you got to average better than 12 and six, right? And I think if you come in as a lottery guy and people think you're going to be a franchise center and you show some, you know, potential defensive player of the year type impact, you get ahead of yourself a little bit. And you start to think, okay, like I'm one type of player, but you're not that guy. You know, I, I think that Sabonis definitely was better than him, like you mentioned. And, you know, you got to show some competitiveness and, and earn back your reputation a little bit. And if you're 12 and six on a big contract and, you know, the team can get by without you necessarily as its centerpiece guy, like, what do you expect? You know, everybody's tradable in the NBA. So, uh, hopefully he understands that. And hopefully they're able to keep the personalities together. I do think Oladipo here is is the wild card in all of it, right? And how does he reestablish himself? Is he able to say, okay, I'm a, a second or a third option? Is he so good he can go back and be their number one option? This team's final product could look a lot different depending on where he settles in. And he was pretty bad in the bubble and he was pretty bad after the injury last year. And it's been a while since he's been that big impact player. But also more time has passed, and hopefully he's coming back with a fresh mindset and a contract year push, you know, is all the motivation in the world that he could ask for. Um, all right, let's uh, let's breeze through these last couple. You have got Atlanta in the playoffs. Why Atlanta over Charlotte, Washington, Orlando? Is it faith in Trey Young? What other factors are you considering? 
It's faith in Trey Young. It's faith in their depth. Um, it's faith in their offseason signings, Bogdan Bogdanovich and Danilo Gallinari. It's John Collins taking a step forward, assuming they don't trade him. Uh, it's Clint Opella, uh being able to provide a little bit of defensive resistance at the rim and um, really fit into a switch sometimes scheme if they want to do that. Um, I mean, I think that Trey Young was sensational last year offensively. He has not played in forever. Um, I expect him to be even better and more efficient, particularly with the offensive weapons that are now around him. And also, there are other young players on this roster who should be better. Cam Reddish, um, Kevin Herter, um, DeAndre Hunter. So, like, if everybody takes a step forward collectively and, you know, there's a lot of internal competition on this roster for minutes, which can be a good thing. Um, I, I think that the talent is at a level where if you don't make the playoffs, it's it's a very big disappointment. I think it's going to happen. <laughs> I think that eight might be their ceiling, Michael. I think they're getting ahead of themselves. I think they're I mean they're starting from a very low baseline last year. They've definitely made improvements, but they're you know being asked to jump up an awful long way into that number eight seed, into that playoff picture. I'm not sure they're going to be able to do it, and I think that there's going to be a lot of people looking around trying to say, well, what happened? I'm selling on Danilo Gallinari. I think that he was awesome last year. I can understand why they paid him. I think he's going to come back just a little bit. I don't know how Collins fits. Uh, I think Bogdanovich is solid but doesn't guard anyone. And this team's defense is going to be horrible. And they've got a lot to prove on offense as well. And so I think that you've got them in the right range. But I've got uh, I've got them just maybe a step or two uh, back from that eighth seed. And uh, they're going to be one of the teams that we should be, you know, circling back on every month, just check in and take their temperature because, uh, you know, how do expectations uh, influence just kind of like what happens going forward, right? If they do fall short here, if they make progress, but not enough progress, how do the key players from Trey Young to coach Lloyd Pierce, would he get in the hot seat, you know, potentially if they're not in the playoff picture? How does ownership respond after spending all of that money? I think it's a little bit, it's like kind of a low-key pressure cooker for Atlanta right now, don't you think? Well, first of all, if you take their temperature uh, every couple months, I mean, it's just going to be 1,500 degrees. Like, they're just going to be incredible offensively, red hot. So, uh, uh, secondly, what? who is your eight seed? I'm curious if you don't have Atlanta there. Um, man, I might regret saying this, and I probably already regret thinking it. I Washington. You know, I think wow, Washington's wow, going to wow, get wow. by them because I think that Washington is going to be able to have some, you know, real firepower uh, offensively as well. Uh, when you're when you're talking about Beal and Westbrook, and then you know shooting, and then I think defensively they're going to be terrible as well, but I think slightly less terrible. And I think you're going to get a bump from Westbrook going from the Western Conference uh, to the Eastern Conference. I think Beal is going to come in motivated and rested. I mean, he didn't even go to the bubble, so he's got no excuse. He should be his absolute best self. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I just, uh, I believe in those guys are a little bit more proven um, than Atlanta's pieces. And uh, I think, um, I think that, you know, both these teams are going to be terrible. You know, this is annually, this is my least favorite aspect of the entire league is trying to pin, you know, pin down which of these like six, seven, eight, nine seed teams in the Eastern Conference are we going to waste our times talking about because none of them are ever going to win a series. (laughs) But I'll take Washington over Atlanta right now. You are such a dark cloud right now. I knew it was gonna. I, I like. I knew it was gonna get to this when we started talking about the Eastern Conference. But like, I mean, come on. Come on. We'll get Atlanta's record last year. It's so unspeakable. I can't even say it on this podcast. Um, let's talk about Charlotte for a minute. Speaking of dark clouds, I don't know if you saw the coverage of Lamelo Ball during the the first preseason game 
where I saw a graphic that had him next to Magic Johnson, LeBron oh, James, yeah. and everyone else. And because he had thrown that incredible behind-the-back pass in transition. And it just absolutely kills me, Michael. It's unfair to LaMelo. It's unfair to every single one of these legends he's getting thrown into. This guy went 0 for 5 and didn't score coming off of the bench in his first preseason game. Now, granted, he didn't get waived from the roster like his brother, Leangelo. He's still on the Hornets. (laughs) But he's not Magic Johnson because he threw one behind-the-back pass in transition during a meaningless preseason game in an empty building. This conversation around LaMelo needs to just chill out. It's even worse than the Lonzo conversation was. I'll admit I got way too caught up in the Lonzo conversation when he was coming out during summer league as well. Mm-hmm. We got to pump the brakes on the LaMelo hype. It's just absolutely out of control, Michael. Do you agree? So I actually watched that game. And I mean, LaMelo Ball could be one of those players that actually makes his team better or one of those players who kind of tricks you into believing he's making his team better because of just how seductive those passes that he makes are. But like that, I mean, the behind the back one was just so smooth, man. You got no, He had three awesome passes, but yeah. there's more to basketball than three awesome passes. They lost by like 20 points, right? No, not in my book. There isn't. Um, no, <laughs> just kidding. But like the over the head dime that he dropped to Cody Zeller on the pick and roll was ridiculous. That full court touchdown pass to I forget who for the layup was great. But like, I don't know. I'm guess I'm just saying that like Lamelo is fun and will be fun. I you know the jury is definitely still out on how much better he makes everyone around him, and you have to be able to score if you want to have the ball in his in your hands as much as he surely will. Um, is the is, how does the jury feel about the magic comparisons? I mean, that's obviously ludicrous. Thank you. <laughs> that's all. I just need to have all the Hall of Famers not mentioned with Lamelo Ball for this entire season. Okay. Can I can if I he, can I ask you a quick question though? Another please. comparison. Do you think that by the end of this year he will be a better passer than Ben Simmons? Wow. Um, Look, he makes a lot of really impressive highlight passes, but there's more to passing than that. I'll take Ben Simmons as a passer over LaMelo Ball. Okay, interesting, interesting, interesting. I, I mean, if Ben Simmons hits corner three shooters like basically better than anyone, and he's huge, and he's really strong, and he draws help and all that. And I, so I, I'll need to see LaMelo be able to kind of draw to and just make the simple reads before yes. I say that he's better than Simmons. Exactly right. Just make your teammates better. Have a functional offense. Be the head of the snake. It's not just about the highlight level passes. Everyone on Twitter falls in love with those hit ahead passes that that he makes in transition too. Newsflash: those never ever work in games that matter. Right? Lonzo was trying to do that for a couple years, and it, yeah, it's always a fun novel act. That's not how you're going to win playoff basketball games. I just wish as a society we valued players that chase wins, not clout. That's all I'm going to say. It's not his fault. He's just out there trying to play the game his way. And we're, I think the media complex around him is just like so geared up to try to tell a particular story about him. And I think it's unfair to him, like I said, and unfair to the other players who he's getting mentioned with. And I just encourage restraint from all parties. You're going to look back at this and just say, God, did we really compare him to Magic Johnson after one preseason game in which he didn't score um, and lost by 20 and didn't even start? It's just crazy. Um, Anyway, now I sound like a a grump like you're describing. I think Charlotte uh, should be interesting. Why do you have them just outside the playoffs? So you could make the case you've got 
you know, one of the best wings in the conference if he's healthy in Gordon Hayward. You've got uh-huh. a number of backcourt players. You know, I know you're a big Devontae Graham guy. Uh, maybe the the interior rotation is not the best, but they had a, a good, hardworking culture last year, and they seem to buy into what their coach is selling. So why are they missing out? No, I mean, there's a lot of things to like. Um, you know, I expect them to be a little bit more inventive than some other teams. Uh, you know, James Borrego did a really I – mean, he's talked about um, – starting P.J. Washington at the five quite a bit. And the way he used P.J. last year in post-up situations where he was able to kind of take advantage of smaller defenders and be really efficient with it um, could be uh, could kind of recreate itself in this upcoming season in his second year. Um, you know, I think that Devontae Graham will not have the ball in his hands like nearly as much with uh, LaMelo Ball and with Gordon Hayward on the roster. I mean, how will Terry Rozier respond to being a fourth or fifth option after finishing last year second in usage and being their their big free agent signing? Um, so, like, there's just some questions here, and I don't think the talent level is super high. Um, no disrespect to Gordon, but he is injury prone, so I'm kind of anticipating him to miss some time, and I'm, I'm factoring that in here as well. No, I'm um, with you on that. that. That's the deal breaker to me. Like, I, I just don't think he can carry a playoff team at this point of his career. Prove me wrong, no. Gordo. Prove me wrong, but I don't see it. So I think you're uh, maybe even a little bit optimistic. Like I definitely would have Washington above Charlotte here as well. And mm-hmm. you could even convince me Orlando ab- above Charlotte too. What is holding Washington out of the playoffs in your eyes, Michael? Defense. Like it's it's defense and it's just what is Russell Westbrook going to look like and how will everyone around Russell Westbrook respond to playing with Russell Westbrook? Those are the two big questions. And actually, I don't even think defense is a question. We know that it's going to be terrible. There is absolutely no reason why it'll be better than it was last year. So making the playoffs with the 29th, maybe 30th uh, defense in the NBA, maybe they'll be a tiny bit better than that, um, is really difficult. And, you know, Brad Beal all of a sudden playing with a guy whose usage is going to be above 30, how does Brad Beal respond when... I mean, he clearly is, you know, he wants to be recognized for his abilities. He was very upset when he did not make the all-star team last year. He did not make an all-NBA team despite averaging 30 a night. Uh, So, like, how will they coexist together? I think that that's a big question mark. And then, like, you know, there's a lot of, um, uh, there's just some depth issues on this team, particularly on the wing, particularly on the defensive yeah. end. So. No, you're being very polite. They're just bad. They got a lot of bad players. There's not really any way around <laughs> it. Um, hey, what about this argument? Uh, you know, Atlanta's going to struggle when Trey's off the court, right? They don't have enough yeah. playmaking without him. If you always have Beal and Wall and you stagger their minutes, you've always got one of them. Does the offense wind up being a little bit steadier? Can you keep Beal happy? And then can you generate enough scoring to overcome the terrible defense? Like, I kind of think Atlanta and Washington are almost like the Spider-Man meme, you know, pointing at each other. All offense, no defense, not really that good, probably not worth talking about as much as we do. But I I don't know. I think that Washington's just going to be a little bit more stable. And I also think, you know, I'm Westbrook's, one of his biggest critics probably, or, or biggest skeptics, but... Um, you, you match him up against the other point guards in the Eastern Conference, his life just got so much easier. And there's a lot of teams he's going to be able to stack up big points against. I think he's just going to look like the best version of himself more consistently in the East than he did last year or really at any other point of his career. 
Um, maybe. I think individually he could have a lot of success for sure. And you make a really good point about staggering the minutes, even though uh, their head coach is Scott Brooks. And last time Scott Brooks was Russell Westbrook's head coach, he was not staggering Westbrook with the, the other team's best player. So we'll see if he learned anything. Well, he experience. might just he might just play him both 46 minutes a night. I mean, that's also <laughs> a possibility because, you know, he's kind of coaching for his job, I would say, at this point, you know. Um, he's played Beal an awful lot of minutes at various points of his uh, career, even during seasons that were sort of essentially lost. I Now that I think about it, yeah, they're going to stagger the three minutes of, of rest those guys get at different times, and then otherwise it's just going to be them two versus the world. Yeah, so that's going to be really interesting to see how that all plays out. Um, but like, also, what do those lineups look like when it's just Russell Westbrook on the floor? And do you have enough shooting around him? They have some bigs who can shoot, for sure. Um, Thomas Bryant hit um, over 40% of his threes last year, which really surprised me when I, when I, was, I went back I was and telling you that last time, man. That the, the offense and the spacing is actually going to be okay. Just Thomas Bryant, I mean, that's the thing. Like, as pretty as the ball goes in from beyond the arc from Thomas Bryant's head is as ugly as the defense gets when people just go right by him for baskets after baskets after baskets, right? Like it's <laughs> it's that constant trade-off. Can you score enough to outweigh how much you're giving up? And he's just in that conundrum. That's like the Thomas Bryant affair, if you want to call it that. It's just like, can you can you score more than you're conceding? Is that like the Thomas Crown affair? That's where I was going with that, but I realized halfway through that it, it didn't really land. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, no, I, I love it, though. I love the attempt. Um, the thing, real quick, just comparing Washington with Atlanta, like, I guess I, I, I'm, you know, you, you said that when Trey Young sits, they'll fall off a cliff. I don't, I don't think that they will fall off a cliff um, anymore. Like, last year they did, for sure. But Is this like, Rondo belief? No, I mean, a little bit is Rondo belief versus someone like, you know, Ish Smith or Raul Neto. Like, I think that Rondo, um, he's just a really good backup point guard at this point in his career when he's surrounded by, I think, the the lineup choices that they'll have to make with, you know, he's going to be with... Gallinari a lot, I would assume, because Gallo's going to be coming off the bench as well. He's going to be with um, DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish and Kevin Herter and a lot of really exciting uh, upcoming wings who can shoot the ball a little bit. So, like, I, I think that they're like also like if you stagger Bogdan too, and Bogdan can handle the ball. So, I, I think there's a little bit more versatility with um, with Atlanta, and it's like the hierarchy isn't as clear as it is in Washington, where Westbrook's going to be doing everything when he when he's on the floor <laughs> without Beal, and Beal is going to be doing a lot when he's on the floor without Westbrook, and it's going to be a question mark when they're both together. So that's just kind of why I think I have Atlanta a little bit higher, but I think both their defenses are going to be atrocious. No, you're making strong arguments. I mean, Atlanta has more quality players on their on their roster at this point than Washington does for sure. Um, they need the good Rondo. If they get the good Rondo, you can talk me into what you're describing. If they get the bad Rondo, the Sacramento Kings Rondo, um, you know, if it's then- a if it's a if it's a good Rondo, just give that man his third ring. That's that's how I feel. <laughs> okay, all right, <laughs> slow it down, slow it down. I was going to ask you which of these teams in a minute uh, had the, the chance to win a playoff series, but now you're predicting Atlanta to win four playoff series. Perfect. Yes. Um, last one here is Orlando. Uh, what holds them out? Why are they falling back so far? I mean, you've got them all the way down at 11 compared to last year. 
Is it the Isaac injury? Is it just the stasis? Is it because you're frustrated they still haven't traded Aaron Gordon? You're punishing them? I mean, losing DJ Augustin, I guess, would be a blow um, by their standards. Uh, Maybe not by any other team's standards, but what's got you uh, down so far on Orlando? A little bit of spite went into this decision. Um, Like, their general malaise as an organization I find offensive, and I really... I really didn't like their offseason. I know I've said it a million times, and I apologize to any Orlando Magic fans who are listening, but, like, where are you going this season? No apology necessary. They should be glad you're calling them out, don't you think? I mean, if you're a Magic fan and you're sitting here thinking, okay, we're running it back with Vucevic, Gordon, no Isaac, Fournier, and we're going to try to have Markel Fultz as our guy now, how are you excited by that? Aren't you just you know beside yourself saying we didn't get anybody we didn't make any moves we didn't shake anything up we just lost our best point guard basically and that was it it's devastating honest i would be devastated if i was a magic fan i like i want to see them go the other way desperately i want to see cole anthony get a lot of minutes i want to see um basically them be a little bit patient knowing that Isaac will be back eventually i mean what's really sad is like mo bamba who had coronavirus um back when the bubble first started, is still not 100% recovered from it. And he's spoken about all the issues that he had, has had um, trying to get back to 100%. So, like, I don't know what you can expect from him throughout this season either. Um, but, like, yeah, it's just like you you re-signed Terrence Ross, you re-signed Vucevic, um, you still have Aaron Gordon, you're not trading him. I just don't know what they're doing. And so I could totally see them getting the eighth seed. That's, like, like, this team was built to get the eighth seed, so great. And then they'll just get destroyed in the first round. So I just didn't even want to give them that credit, and I want them to lose. Um, I don't want them to make the playoffs because it's just, it's not right, honestly. <laughs> I don't I don't like it. When you're just trying to, you're aiming low, it's a disservice to your fan base, honestly. Your best take of the whole podcast, Michael. I'm with you 1,000%. You've talked me into them. Maybe we can say you overrated them. Maybe they could be even worse than 11. That's possible. You know, I think that <laughs> the their margin for being really, really bad is pretty thin here. You know, I mean, I, I think that they definitely took a step back from a roster standpoint compared to last year. The stasis stuff comes into effect where, you know, guys start to get a little b- bored and antsy. Um Maybe they have to shake things up at the deadline and just sell off if they start slow. I could see that happening. I'm right there with you. I think um, you know this could be a, a really a disappointing season for a franchise that's usually just kind of meh. I think they could be worse than meh this year. Okay, last question for you as the wrap-up, Michael. Miami, Indiana, Atlanta, Charlotte, Washington, Orlando. Of those six teams, how many can win a playoff series? Hmm, it's a really good question. I think I mean, we can agree Miami for sure. I mean, yes, you know, it, of course. It, they're in. Can any of these Absolutely. other teams win a playoff series? I don't see Indiana. I don't see Atlanta. I don't see Charlotte. I don't see Washington. I don't see Orlando winning a playoff series this year. I think that the top six in the East is looking pretty nice. They're sitting pretty, right? And if you're a top four seed, if you've got home court, pencil it into the conference semifinals, right? I think maybe you could make an argument for Indiana. If, if everything goes right for Indiana and they head into the playoffs humming and whoever their first round opponent is um, suffers some kind of 
devastating injury, <laughs> then I think you can say that Indiana can win a playoff series. But like with these other ones, like I just I don't see it all, at all. And like a lot of them would just be so thrilled to get into the playoffs that um, yeah, once they get there, there's just not a lot of upside for them. So like I'll put Indiana in there as potentially I could conceivably see them winning a playoff series, but like. The, the real answer is that Miami is the only one who I, I mean, I would probably favor Miami, depending on who they're up against. Like, I'd probably put them as a favorite in their first round series. Okay. I am right there with you. And now here's my last question. If we're leaving teams like Dallas, New Orleans at home in the West, right? And we're saying that Indiana, Atlanta, none of these other teams have a chance in the Eastern Conference. Should the NBA, and I know I bang this drum every year, should they have just taken the top 16 playoff teams regardless of conference or should they have tried to work in a lack of conference into the play in rounds right so that um, the team the nine and ten seeds were maybe uh, you know included regardless of conference just to make sure they had the best possible teams because you're writing off the seven and eight seed right off the top in the eastern conference are we sure if you're nine and ten seeds dallas new orleans if they had a chance are we sure that they uh, wouldn't outperform miami and indiana or uh, atlanta uh, out there in the east I think in a time of economic peril, if Luka Doncic and Zion Williamson are on the outside looking in on the playoffs, the the NBA is just going to change the rules on the fly. (laughs) That's just what you kind of need to do. Like it's at the end of the day, it's like a business and it's an entertainment product. And it's crazy. uh, They didn't change the rules already. I mean, like they're, they're kind of trying to do it with the playing round, but it should have been just top 16 this year. I mean, it should have been top 16 for the last 25 years. I'm going to say that, but this is the time to do it. You're right. The economic argument is stronger than ever. The travel concerns thing, I mean, who knows what the, the playoffs are going to look like this year, but I would have uh, been interested in trying to make accommodations there as well. And I also think if you're the owners, you're staring down billions of dollars in losses. It's time to forget about tradition and do what's in the best interest of the sport. Get the best teams and the best players out there in the playoffs and let them try to generate revenue rather than just, you know, we have already, we're looking at the 1-8 and the 2-7 in the Eastern Conference as being worthless. And you've already written them off before the season started, Michael, and you like the Eastern Conference. That feels to me like a fundamental problem, doesn't it? It does. No doubt about it. Uh, I think we're on the same page here. Oh, I love it. I love it when we can agree, Michael. Well, thank you very much for Pina's playoff picks. Guys, now you know what time it is. It's your time to rip Michael apart. Email us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. Michael, you and I weren't very different, other than maybe Atlanta, other than maybe Houston and, and Dallas, a couple other teams. We were on a similar page, but I'm sure there's people out there, like maybe some Grizzlies fans who are saying, wait a minute, we can't even get a name check. What's going on there? Email in your best arguments to us about why we snubbed your team, why we were too high on, uh, on a team, why we were too low on a team, uh, whatever it might be. This is going to be where the action is this season. I'm, I'm pretty convinced that we're going to be watching this 6-11 through 11 race all season long, Michael. All right, guys, uh, follow us on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. When you find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review, tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. Now, Michael's on Twitter and Instagram at Michael Villas and Victor Pina. Be sure to give him a shout out and say congratulations for joining Sports Illustrated. What an exciting time to be alive, Michael. I'm on Instagram at Ben.Golliver, on Twitter at Ben.Golliver. Until later this week, Michael, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben.
from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.